Hey, and welcome to episode three, three of That's Roman's it. Rundown. Thank you, Dave. And we're with Steve Roman, myself, and Dave taking care of me. Uh, so we're talking today about, we're going into real quick, Dave and I were talking before we got on the mic about the Knicks. Yes. And uh, it is quite extraordinary for any legitimate Knicks fan out there. Because as Dave and I discussed, these happenings haven't happened since 1994, I believe, Dave. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah, they've had more wins, or at least they tied the amount of wins uh, that they haven't had this many wins in January since 1994. And if you're a Knicks fan and you know, all know what happened in 1994, besides the O.J. Simpson chase, there was a Knicks team that uh, made the NBA Finals. So... Dude, it, it's been a lot of fun to watch this team. You don't want to get too excited, but I think I finally... Do you have any kind of PTSD when it comes to your sports teams? Like, you just expect them to just kind of, like, rip your heart out. Is that, like, where you're sitting as a fan, too? Yeah, that's that's such a great point that you bring up because being a Nick fan, which we are, um, even being a Yankee fan now for a long time, being spoiled Yankee fans... Mm. You have that feeling, even with the Yankees now. Oh, my God, we don't have anything to watch now in <laughs> September. It right. happened again. John Carlo struck struck out. Yeah, again. Um, again. Yeah, well, listen, um, it, it seems to be, it just seems to me that, you know, this is a little different. I think the last time the Knicks were as competitive and as exciting was around the time that Carmelo Anthony was doing his thing in New York. But even those teams felt like it was a one-man band with Carmelo Anthony. He seemed like a very – and look, great scorer, great all-time player, but it just felt like he was a me, me, me guy. Where this time around, man, Jalen Brunson, he makes everybody better on the court. Oh, absolutely, and that's a great point. I mean, you're probably giving Carmelo Anthony – more credit than I would like to give him because he was such a selfish player. Um, Patrick Ewing suffered from that a little bit too, who was a great player. I feel if Patrick Ewing was a little bit more willing to give up the ball sometimes, I think sometimes the Knicks might have been able to break through. And that was something about Patrick Ewing that I don't know if it was from he was from the islands or his attitude or the way he was built by John John Thompson through Georgetown and had that underlying, you know, late 80s, 90s. You came from John Thompson, so you have to behave a certain way. You're a man of color. Um, so it was it was a it was a tight vibe with him. And Ewing was one of my favorite players of all time, that that team with Oakley, you know, Anthony Mason, and poor Charles Oakley, boy, he got traded. And back in the day, Michael Jordan did everything he can, could with Jerry Krause, the GM of Chicago, to try to hold on to, to, um, to Charles Oakley because he was such an enforcer. And mm. Michael foresaw the future of what was going to happen and figured before Rodman or before Ori, you know, Rob, some of those great players, um, he wanted Oakley to be part of that family. Unfortunately, and fortunately for us, it was great to watch Charles Oakley enforce the Knicks 
for a decade plus. And what they did to him at the Garden, I don't want to talk about, was very unfortunate. It's a bad situation, and Dolan should fix that. Like other things we've talked about, but let's not jinx anything. Let's try to stay on topic. That's me um, staying on topic. So, yeah, uh, you know, those teams, Patrick Ewing, the selfishness, Carmelo Anthony, great player, amazing score. I, you know, did some great things at Syracuse. Um, but like you said, this team, that Villanova flavor of a smaller school, very intimate, mm -hmm. sharing the ball, moving the ball. If you watch them the last 20 games, and I know they've won nine in a row, I believe, now you could see players like DiVincenzo is slowly starting to grow, take mm -hmm. big shots hit big shot night after night. It's just not a 25 point night. And then you don't see him again. He's distributing the ball. He's a huge outlet. I mean, the, I really think uh, we've discussed it too, the, you know, Josh Hart, Jalen Brunson, DiVincenzo, and even the kid, Ryan uh, uh, Arcadia. He's a kid that's on the bench. He's a guard. He's from Villanova too. Believe it or not, he's making a couple million dollars a year. It's just good chemistry. Mm -hmm. It's just mm -hmm. a good vibe. Like and like you, yeah, like you were saying before, you know, a lot of the NBA now. And look, this might be me, the old school, you know, old man, like uh, shaking fist at clouds kind of thing. But like, I feel like the NBA has gone from a system to a hey, let's find a three point shooter who could just shoot the lights out of the ball more like a Steph Curry type brand of player where they could shoot from pretty much anywhere on the court. And it's like dribble up pass to Curry bang three pointer. They miss, they don't crash the boards. They get back on defense. You know what I mean? It's like, and some people get back on defense. I feel like there's no defense played into the playoffs, but what I will say is this team. And as you said before, the ball movement, man, it's just, it's all over the place, right? The, 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 nobody, there's no stationary position and that's what leads to a lot of high percentage shots with the Knicks now where you're not just like, oh, my God. Like last year, even to last year, maybe the year before that, there was a lot of shots taken by Julius Randle where you're like, what are you doing, man? You know what I mean? Like, where are you expecting that ball to go? Because it sure as shit ain't going in the net, right? So now I just feel like the looks are better and the ball movement's better and the camaraderie's better. And it just everything... You know, we said it on the Jimmy Palumbo show, how we were all just kind of not gutted, but a punch in the stomach to see a guy like R.J. Barrett leave and Emmanuel quickly leave. And you're thinking like, man, you just you traded away the nucleus of this team. But I feel like the OG effect is now your third man, you know, and they've won two nights in a row without OG and without Randall. So it's just like they're they're creating players. They're creating space. Um, and they're creating wins, man, and they're stockpiling these wins. And right now, as it stands, we record this on a Wednesday afternoon. They're a game out of, of the second seed in the East. Did you ever see that coming, Steve? Like, that's a little unheard of. No, I can't believe we, we didn't even mention Mitchell Robinson. And he's been out, right? And he's so, been out. I mean, so it's, been, it's been Hartenstein. Hartenstein? Like, when we got that, when we drafted, I was like, who? You know, like, what are we, what are we doing? And even he's contributing on the big, big minutes time. underneath the board. It's just, I don't know, man. It's, it's a virus. It's spreading the virus of goodness. 
Yeah, which is, is like we don't really see today. You know, you're throwing yourself on the bus by going, oh, I'm old school. I mean, you know, we're not that old. But really, <laughs> it's like, yeah, we appreciate it's a five-man game. Right. You know, the old uh, Golden State Warriors in their prime were incredible passers. Um, Green, who's always in trouble over there. Draymond? I mean, he's... He reminds me of a Charles Oakley, honestly. Listen, he's he's probably, I don't care what you say, top five, seven best big men, certainly top ten. That's selling him short. Um, big man passers in the league. He's got mm. how many championships now? I mean, you yeah. can't doubt him. I mean, listen, he does take it sometimes to the next level, even where I don't know if Oakley went that far. But I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna play. You know, I agree with you. That's a guy I want on my team. You know, it's a guy that I want back in me and has done that job for that team. I felt that team in its prime was the best passing team I've seen currently since teams like the old '80s, the uh, Boston Celtics, Larry Bird, McHale, Danny Ainge. Uh, you know, those guys were just ridiculous moving the ball. Um, you know, some of the greatest teams we've seen, those older teams that could move and distribute the ball. And like you said, what where is the defense? It's very refreshing to see. I mean, my daughter's more of a defensive player. She had six blocks the other night. It was like six. it was nice to see. It was just refreshing to see. You know, she didn't she had six points, six rebounds, but six blocks. It's a lot of blocks. Um, it was a lot of blocks. Yeah, it was a lot. It was like uh, Matumbo style, like um, <laughs> just doing the, just yeah. doing the wet, waving the finger. <laughs> Listen, we were punished a lot by him, the Knicks back in the yeah, day. We he did a, you know, he's great center. Um, but getting back to the Knicks, yeah, uh, Dave, I think it's really exciting. But I do have that feeling. I always get that nervous feeling because we've gotten excited. You bought a sweatshirt. I'm a little nervous to buy a sweatshirt, but I think I'm ready to pull the trigger and get something cool. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I bought some Knicks merch. My last Knicks merchandise I bought was uh, a John Starks jersey. Or, like, I, I was actually one when I was playing basketball at the age of, like, I guess it was, I was like eight or nine. Yeah, I was nine years old playing, like, a rec league basketball. And I was the only one to show up with an Anthony Mason jersey. There was nobody like that, you know. And I, I begged my mom and dad, can I please put some kind of design in the side of my head, like like Mason had, but to no avail. But uh, those guys, I haven't bought Nick stuff in a while because I'm just like, I'm not gonna sink money into a team that's just gonna keep letting me down. And look, two years ago they made the playoffs, right? They get bounced by the Hawks. We're all dealing with, uh, you know, uh, whoever that point guard. I'm draw. It's drawing a blank right now, but screw him. I hate him. Um, Whoever that guy, I've, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. Who's the point guard of the Hawks? The 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 bitch that keeps making you know. Oh, just Trey. Oh, Trey Young. Yeah. So looks like a lollipop you found yeah, underneath, underneath totally. the couch. Um, yeah, so <laughs> it's hair. Uh, but yeah, we get bounced there, right? But then next year we came out last year and we win a playoff series and we're like, okay, look at this team. And then they, you run into a buzzsaw known as the hottest team in the East at the moment when Jimmy Butler and the Heat. But we, we take them to the ropes a little bit, right? And then you get bounced in the second round. Now you got to look at this as if, like, there's no there's no satisfaction in losing in the first two rounds this year. Like, there, it's Eastern Conference Finals or bust for the New York Knicks this year because it's like you're gradually building, and I think you're finally there. And if you look at the landscape of the East, and you know this 
better than me. You know, you're looking around, you're like, all right, you know what? A lot of these teams could be had. And, and if you put me in a seven-game series with the Boston Celtics, I, 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 I can't foresee that being a sweep by Boston. You know, we can run with the Celtics. So all of a sudden, you're thinking you have these championship aspirations for a team that, you know, three weeks ago, they were, made one trade, and you're like, ah, looks like they're punting on this season. And all of a sudden, they're the hottest team in the league, and they're on the back of the post, and the back of the Daily News, and the back, they're just the the talk of the town right now. So it's, it's refreshing. Yeah. And I think me, you and Jimmy represented 90%, 95% of New York and genuine Nick fans. When we didn't buy into it, when we weren't happy with OG, we were like, who is this guy? Right. We've been so conditioned over the years to be let down. And you want to throw in when the lollipop kid beat us with his, with his <laughs> blowout hair and his, you know, candy stuck in there. Um, but he's got the salary to take care of that and fix it up. What he will, we don't know, but we'll keep an eye on that on a sidebar. But uh, yeah, not, nah, I mean, you, you got to consider that it's very impressive what the Knicks are doing, but it's also, you know, it's hard to buy in when it's been 30 years of, of failure and, and an owner that hasn't really taken a genuine interest. It's more like I'm watching the Super Bowl which is happening in Vegas. And he's making more money from his bubble out there that he built, that, you know, advertising for the Super Bowl. I mean, it's a really unique, cool thing, but it's like, it's more unique that you inherited the greatest franchise in basketball history and haven't done anything with them. So for us, it's hard to sort of buy in and Jimmy didn't, you didn't, and I didn't. And I know that represented 90, 95% of New York and genuine Nick fans that were like, please, this is just some more bullshit. We're not going to bring in this OG. He was so host blocks four shots and get 10 rebounds. It's not going to make or break a difference. But all of a sudden you bring in a guy, like I said, sweet guy, you know, no, you know, not really a street guy. A lot of the NBA, we could talk about guys doing the wrong thing, mm -hmm. super talented guys that aren't really structured. And you look at the Nick team and even Carmelo's attitude or Randall's attitude where he was fingering off the garden and taking those horrific shots. He didn't have really anyone flanking him. He didn't right. have someone to direct him like Tibbs who won't take that shit. I feel they have a lot of respect for him in there. Mm -hmm. You know, we could go back to the Giants where that was just debauchery. I feel the Knicks are in fine order. I feel like the coaching's there. I feel like the staff is fantastic, which is huge today for this generation. And mm -hmm. I feel like Brunson is an easy kid to get along with. His father was in the game. He's a he's a Villanova kid. He's surrounded by Villanova. I think his he I think Thibodeau makes makes a genuine effort to have a personality with each individual on that team. I feel it's family style and it starts to bleed in from your head coach down. These guys believe in him. They may Haverstein may not be a guy that you'd expect all of a sudden to have seven rebounds, seven points and three blocks, huge points, huge mm -hmm. rebounds and was the turnaround of the game. And is, and, oh. is a, and it's a minutes eater too. You know what I mean? Like you don't want these guys to be running to the ground. So when, May, June comes around and it's playoff time that they got no legs left. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and Tibbs has been infamous for kind of running his players into the ground a little bit, making sure that they're getting their quality minutes, but also quantity started to, to creep its ugly head uh, last year specifically. But it seems like, you know, 
the distribution of minutes. You're getting quality minutes out of guys that you just didn't expect to get quality minutes out of. So, yeah, man, it's an exciting time for New York. Let's ride this wave. Um, you know, I feel like this is most of my teams that happened to me. Like, you know, I'm a Cowboys fan. It's been, you know, forever since they've been something. And the Knicks have been, you know, they've gotten to a finals back in, I believe it was 99 or 2000, where it was the Spreewell days. And I, I love that team, man. Let me tell you something. That team was that team was a lot of fun to watch. And I was a big fan of Spreewell minus the whole, you know, coach uh, choking the coach thing. But uh, I digress with that. But, um, you know, it's just there's a lot of it's a cool feeling right now. And I think that Knicks fans, if you're out there and you're watching this program, I think it's okay to start getting excited. You know, I said that today in the Chop Sports Facebook group. I said it's okay to start really starting to feel like, hey, this could be something. And I'm not saying, like, go out there, puff your chest down, say we're going to the finals or it's a championship team. We don't know that. We're not battle tested yet. Not this team. Because not only are they winning games, Steve. They're winning games by a lot of points. Like there, there's not many close games. They're beating the brakes off of some of these high quality teams. And it's just like, oh, all right. You know, you, sometimes if I don't get around to watching the whole game and I'll just get the update of the score real quick and it's like a halftime lead and I'm like, okay, they're up at half. You know, I'll tune in a little bit and maybe something will get in the way and I just won't be able to tune in and then I'll see the final score. I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like how do, how do they pull this one off? You know what I mean? So. It's exciting, man. It, it really is a good time to be a Knicks fan right now. And like I said, I'll just kind of ride the wave. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm totally on board. It's like it's totally something to look forward to. Um, I feel like, you know, it's almost like um we're at a self-help group where, you know, we're telling <laughs> it's okay. You can actually put on this your own. This is a safe, this is the safe place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're all in the same place. We're all like, all right. You can slowly, you can slowly put on those old Patrick Ewing sneakers. There you go. There you go. Ewing throwbacks. Speaking wow. of safe place, see. Uh, speaking of safe place, Steve. Um, you know who's not in a safe place right now, as as far as the media is concerned. That's Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey as they're heading back to the Super Bowl uh, as a dynamic duo. Uh, the Chiefs got their win. That was the one game we thought the Ravens had it. Man, we thought the Ravens were going to go in there and take care of business. And all of a sudden, and I've been saying this, and I've said this publicly, and I'm not, I'm not like totally backing it up or fluffing my chest, but Lamar Jackson has been had a tendency that if you take him off his game just a little bit, he becomes very, very ineffective. Your thoughts on the Chiefs and the Ravens, and then we'll get into the Niners and Lions. Yeah, um, I was so disenchanted with his play. Um, it was awful. I mean, I really was expecting this guy to come out and show the world that he's, you know, top three, four best quarterbacks. And um, like you said, he was just non-effective in every way. I mean, there was nothing really he did that was positive for his team. I mean, uh, I was shocked, really. I was really very shocked. And, and I think you're right. It just was a little ripple in there. Um, he wasn't didn't come out smooth, but wasn't able to recover. Um, it just it didn't look good. And and, look and not good. to mention, obviously, Lamar Jackson having himself a rough afternoon. The guy with the more rough or rougher afternoon was Zay Flowers. And sometimes oh. when you look at this kid and you look at the way he's played his game in 2023 and 24, you're like, wow, man, they found themselves a legitimate wide receiver one, like the kid can go or even a wide receiver two as a compliment to a guy like Beckham or, you know, or, um, 
you know, the uh, Rashad Bateman, and then they got obviously they got Mark Andrews was coming back, so you figured that was going to be a big thing. But Zay Flowers, man, it's just it's unfortunate that in today's NFL, you see a lot of this, and you were mentioning it a little bit when we were talking about the NBA. Some of these players are just very me, 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 and they get wrapped up in the moment. And when you have one of the biggest plays in the game and you get up and you practically spin the ball on the guy's chest and you're flaunting and you're, you know, it's just like, what exactly is going through your mind right now that in today's NFL, you didn't think you were going to catch a 15 yard personal foul on that? Where, what's the mindset of somebody like that after a big play like that? Emotions aside, I get it. You're high and you're high on emotions right now and you're very excited, but dude, what a drive killer. And then, obviously, the the ultimate fumbling the ball on the one. Zay Flowers had himself a rough afternoon. Is that karma? I mean, do you, do you I, feel each – I mean, feels like feel, it. It feels like a ball don't lie type situation, right? Right. Like, like how do you – how do you have one of the most outstanding pregame interviews where he's being interviewed – my daughter was like, wow, what a sweet, nice guy. And he really did a fantastic interview. I was like, wow, good for him. Whoever's mm -hmm. PR guy is, whoever's flanking him, he did an absolutely six-minute, if you got, if you didn't get to see it, look at the Zay Flowers pregame interview. It was fantastic. He was on for maybe six, seven minutes, and he sounded, you couldn't ask for, for him to represent himself or his team any better. Well, he took that entire package, burned it up, and I don't know who I was watching on the field. If you were to say to me he would have done that after that catch, I don't know, it was a 27-yard catch, something like that, and then to get up and behave like, and stand in the face of the defender instead of just placing the ball while the stadium's erupting, mm -hmm. you suck the life. Well, one of the biggest plays of Baltimore's history and you suck the life right out of it by giving back 15 yards. The crowd now isn't into the play. They're irritable. And now you're going downfield waiting to, to for the real faux pas of breaking the back on your team, which, mm -hmm. which unfortunately, and of course it was not purposeful and there was no intent, I don't believe, there at all. But, you know, you set yourself up with karma. It was unnecessary to do that. It was a huge – you're lucky you got back in the predicament that you were in, in, in fact, mm -hmm. because you could have really – you could have got nothing out of it. Which yeah, I believe, it, I believe it was Zay Flowers who got another first down on the same drive, and I, and I said to my old man, I'm watching, I'm like, well, he got the penalty yards back. Let's see what happens now. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, he fumbled on the one, and, you know, obviously they caught up with him after the game, and he said that – you know, clearly he's busted up and you could tell. And he said he's not going to let one play define him, but it wasn't one play. It was that drive. You know what I mean? Like that entire drive is going to define your season because you had a swell rookie campaign, man. You had some numbers. You lit up the scoreboard. You really did well. But at the end of the day, man, they're going to remember you for that last drive. And, and and I get, you know, look, Lamar throws a pick after that. We, we know – the rest is history, but that drive, you know, you and me both know, Steve, that football is a game of momentum, and that totally, totally turned the tide of the AFC title game. Absolutely.
I mean, that was that was just like um, that was the backbreaker. They couldn't mm-hmm. recover. I mean, you take away seven points at that point. You score the touchdown. Lamar's in a better situation. Your offense is mentally sound. Mm-hmm. You know, you're feeling good. Instead, your whole team implodes. And, you know, again, it started with him acting like a jackass after making an absolutely superb play. And you're counting down, you know, ca- counting back 15 yards mm-hmm. and killing the drive. And, yes, he did. You're right. That was a good point because watching the game, I still didn't feel that the catch. I was like, dude, there was, that should have been the touchdown catch because they brought you all the way back instead of regaining the yards. I'm glad you were able to do that. But now it's like the most important play. And, yeah, you will be defined by this because I feel had he gone through the play, made the great catch, gave the ball to the ref, which I always – it's so weird now because I look for guys to do that opposed to the dance. I'm looking for guys to just give the ball back. Like I do this all the time. We don't, we don't live in that. We don't live in that society. I know, bro. Really You're like, am I an old man? I'm a, you know, give the ball back. And, but it's like, you know, I get it. I sort of get it. But then when you're doing stuff like that to that point, now your end zone dance or taking pictures, that's containable. It's okay. You're not getting penalized. But in the middle of a drive to, mm-hmm. to have such a mental lapse and you could say, yeah, I'm high. We both played sports. We both have probably made some mistakes. But at that level, and neither one of us have played at that level, to be prepared for that highness to overtake you, to mm-hmm. project that back into your team, not yourself. And that's all about you, bro. That's about the catch I made. I just beat you and fuck you in our little world. Mm-hmm. And it's no, mm-hmm. it's no, it's really like, you know, F you, you just did your whole team really dirty, didn't expect it. And now karma bit you in the tushy on the, on the goal line. <laughs> yeah. You couldn't, you couldn't complete something that was historical and you have to live with that. You know, you're a professional athlete. I know things happen, but. A lot of that is just bad news, Dave. Horrible. And we were talking high about him, too. And right, Yeah, of course. Dave. And why wouldn't we? I mean, he had, like I said, a, a fantastic season. So, you know, you know, and, and before you mentioned, you know, uh, uh, leaving points on the board as we segue into the NFC Championship game, you want to talk about something that's just been uh, obviously the topic of conversation this week and obviously no football this week because of the fact that there's the week in between. Um, but... It, I, Dan Campbell has has made a now a living on living on the edge and going for it when you just don't expect it and the fake punts and the two point conversions and the tackle eligibles and all this shit that Dan Campbell has instilled into this team and I and I'll also throw Ben Johnson in there who is the offensive coordinator these guys are a collective effort what goes through the mind of an NFL head coach Steve to not take points in an NFC title game where there is no tomorrow, like that you have to play like that. You can't play like we go for it in, in week 12 and we lose the game, but don't worry next week. We won't make that same mistake. Now you can't make that mistake. You cannot go out there and screw the pooch one last time, knowing that there's points to be had, you know, how hard it is to score in the NFL, you know, like your thoughts on, on Dan Campbell and, and the way he basically screwed his own team out of an NFC title. Yeah, uh, again, it's like 
I couldn't understand why he wasn't kicking the field goals. I didn't understand, like, you know, you're not putting the three points on the board. Um, you know, they were chip shots. You There were no guarantees on going for the touchdowns. Um, he, he, did, he put himself out there. You know, he gambled, I thought, with the team. What was a little obnoxious, and I do like him. I do like that he brings a team together. I do like some of the things that he's done. I really do. You know, I was very happy for Detroit. You know, he's an ex-giant, which, you know, doesn't mean anything to you. So there's a little bit of something there. Um, but at the same time, you can't take those risks when you know how hard it is to score in the NFL. You're right there for the three points. You're just you're just adding to your team's momentum, I feel, because if you don't get anything out of it at all, you sort of left in a predicament. And you should know that there is no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So you're really better off being safe than sorry you got this far. I I have to take the points. Um, you know, I don't know if I would be be saying how, how brilliant he was if they scored the touchdown, how we would be talking if they did. But at the same time, you can't really, it's all a risk factor. You've got to get the three points. You gotta start. You got to start the momentum. You got to get your team saying, we can score. We mm -hmm. got our three. We know the next time we're down here, we'll push the seven or, you know, get the six and then and then the extra point or what have you. Although we know the extra point is I, not guaranteed. For me, it's just like I'm, I'm watching this as a fan and, and as a as a Cowboy fan and a football enthusiast who've learned the game at such an exponential level, right? I've coached the game. I've watched the game. I've studied film. I've done a lot. And I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy in the world. But every single time, no matter what the situation may be, I will not even hesitate to say the phrase, take the points, right? Never. I just I, screw the analytics. I know the uh, I know all sports have turned into this computer program where it's like all of a sudden and you watch the broadcast, Steve, you see all the uh, percentages say go for it. Percentages say punt. Percentages, you know, all these fucking Analytics. analytics i'm not that nerd i'm sorry i am the the hard nose points are hard to come by do not screw this up kick the fucking field goal there's no reason for you to go out there and play hero you know especially in an nfc title game when you have you have literally silenced the crowd in san francisco they had no answer for you in that first half none right they had they, they were looking around like what the fuck is happening right now in, in this this situation, the Lions are not supposed to be doing this to us. And for you to turn that and swing the momentum the other way and pretend that don't worry about it, we got this, it goes from, and my dad said it best, there's a difference between aggressive and reckless. What Dan Campbell has done all season was get reckless. And sometimes it paid off and sometimes it didn't. I just don't feel like in, in, a, in a big spot like this, bro, you just you just don't do it. You just don't do it. And I just feel like the Lions oh, have yeah. such a story. What say it again? 17 nothing. No, when it, when they were up 21-7, then they went up 24, and then they could have went up 27-7. And they decided, nah. That you know, was, it's like that and I'm like, bro, you can go up three touchdowns. Yeah. You know, it's like this, this that's a whole nother ball game. I always say it like this, and, and I know this is ridiculous, but this is the way I kind of Bill Parcells is my favorite coach of all time, right? Like, obviously, I'm a Cowboys fan, so when he came to Dallas, all his success is in New York. I get it. Um, so those years, screw you, Bill. 
But like when he came to Dallas to write the ship, he really did write the ship. And the way I learned by watching Bill Parcells coach a football game is get the lead, protect that lead with your life, run the football, run that clock out. I'm in there when I'm watching Cowboys games, it could be the third quarter with, with four minutes to go. And I'm thinking, okay, how many more possessions can that other team get, right? How many more times can get, they get the ball and it, we would have to do zero. The Lions were going to score points regardless. It was just a matter of how many more times Brock Purdy and that offense can get on the field. You gave them it. Then there's fumbles. Then, the, you know, all these, these again, the, the question of momentum. Does it exist? I think it wholeheartedly exists. You know, like it's just it's just a crazy way to think when you're an NFL coach. I get it. You you you're that brash new guy on the block. I'm gonna bite your kneecaps. We're gonna fight. We're gonna scratch claw. Blah blah blah. I get all that. But then I think be Bill Parcells. Be Bill Parcells. Get on the sidelines. Score your points. Run the clock out. Live to see another day and go on to the Super Bowl. If that was Bill Parcells. Or pretty much any coach under Parcells' tree or anything like that, the Lions walk into Las Vegas as your NFC champions. But instead, you got reckless. And I think that's it sucks because the Lions had such a really cool story. They had Eminem flipping off fans. They had all this fun shit with, with the city of Detroit, which they've never experienced before. And you know it just as much as I know it, Steve. It is so hard to win in the NFL. So what are the odds that the Detroit Lions get back there next year? It's very, it's not a good, you want to talk percentages? It ain't that high. You know, it's very hard to get to those final two spots in, in any conference. And I think that they did themselves a complete disservice. I mean, he was, he, Campbell said he would do it again. He, you know, of course he, he did. Good. Of course. That's, that's, that's his, uh, that's his, uh, look at me, you know, like. It's I'm just surprised. like enough. If I'm the Detroit Lions, a fan of the team, and he says that shit like two days later, I'm like, oh, fuck yourself, Dan. Like, yeah, that's no, you don't do that. Not even to say, you know, I would have maybe thought it out just to say, I mean, I don't know if that puts him in a predicament, but I mean, how do you not at least think to maybe go for the three points at that point? Was there anyone in the coaching staff saying, hey, Dan, look, we could I'm go curious to know that too. Yeah, I'm very curious to know if anybody was in his ear like, hey, let's take those three. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, and that that is part. Listen, that's part of the the head coach's responsibility, like specifically if you're Dan Campbell and you have an OC and you have a DC. As Dan Campbell, you're supposed to be like this leader of men, right? You're supposed to be the last guy to make that final decision. Like Mike McCarthy, on the other hand, for Dallas, he's also the offensive play caller. So he's got a lot of eggs in the offensive basket so you have to rely on Dan Quinn and the defense and shit like that. If you're Dan Campbell, your only responsibility is to make the final decision of all these play calls that are coming through your own headset. You know, and like if somebody like Ben Johnson went out there and said, "All right, man, uh field goal, let's get this team." And and, and Dan Campbell's the one to say, "Oh, whoa, 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 whoa." You know, like, "Let's let's see what we got here." No, it's like, "Let's not see what we got here, man. Stop being the tough guy." You know, like that stick is up. And you better, if he, again, that was the worst thing you could have said days later. Oh, I would have did it again. No, you wouldn't have. No, you wouldn't have. Yeah, well, you know, he couldn't accept that. I guess he figured, like you said, I'm going to come out with my bravado. That's how it's going to come across. Detroit's going to give me another shot, probably, because, of, you know, the success that I had. And, and I'm going to go with it. You know, that could burn him again. 
if someone and if someone in the organization, you know, said to him, "Look, you know, we should have we should have you know kicked a field goal there." That might have changed the momentum of the game too. You don't know another three points. Now you're just driving the knife deeper and and sucking the life right out of that team. So mm-hmm. you know, I don't I don't know. I agree. I think that Dan Campbell certainly could have been. Um, Certainly could have been a little bit more open-minded about his decision. Probably could have threw a lifeline to a couple of coaches out there that said, hey, coach, maybe we want to think about tacking on three. Gives us a three, you know, three uh, possession lead. Now, we, you know. Yeah, and like I said, the clock is running, man. Like how many times can the San Francisco 49ers come out there and score touchdowns every drive? And, yeah, did they? Did they go out there and really ball out? They did, but, like, Sometimes you're looking at opportunities, and maybe those opportunities wouldn't have presented themselves had they not had the ball on a missed fourth down convert. You know what I mean? Like, it's just there's a lot that goes involved, and obviously we'll get deeper into the Super Bowl next week when the game is is coming up and where it's going to feature the San Francisco 49ers, the Kansas City Chiefs. That'll be a lot of fun. Obviously, the, it feels like the world is rooting for the San Francisco 49ers to end the madness that is uh, the Taylor Swift stuff, you know, so... I digress with that. I've I've talked about that at length already. I can't even ask your opinion because it just it'll spark of an hour long conversation. So, staying on uh, the female side of things, how uh, how are things going on with with your daughters? I know last week you said that uh, your daughter's JV team was rocking it. Are they still uh, unbeaten? Yeah, uh, Dave. Thanks for asking. Yeah, they're actually they're they're playing very well. They're fourteen and zero. Nice. Um, you know, it's very exciting to see. Uh, my daughter had a great game. She actually had a great game last night. She had six blocks, which was, you know, really uh, a nice game from the defensive end. I think she had also eight rebounds and six points. So definitely exciting to see. Definitely enjoyable. My little one had her first game um, the day before. She's a seventh grader. She's five nine, very tall. Um, how old? How old is your oldest? She's um fifteen. So, what grade is your oldest in? She's in the tenth grade. So, by the time she's a senior, your little one's going to be a freshman, right? They're going to wow. They're, yeah, they're going to. They're Eva pitches. Their main sport is softball, and I told you. You know, Eva walked on to this team as a freshman. She was um, 14 years old and walked on and made the varsity team. They won the Suffolk County Championship. She pitched in the Long Island Championship. She got shelled, but she pitched. Listen, she was 14 pitching against 18-year-old women. And mm-hmm. you would have saw my daughter throwing and been like, wow, doesn't look like the batters or the kids around her everyone was on an even field because it wasn't because she was a freshman, but she's a good player. And, you know, it's exciting to play at that level and have that kind of success. So yeah, um, she's a righty, you know, pitcher softball. It's, it's, you know, you throw the ball pretty hard. What's she getting um, clocked at? She's getting clocked at like 56. Okay. Which is pretty, you know, it's coming in pretty good. She's got a rise ball, a curve ball. She's been working on it for five years, so it's not anything that's – it takes work. Anything you want to be good at, you have to hustle, mm-hmm. work hard. It's two things. It's, um, you know, I tell her it's your attitude and your effort. You know, those are two things you can control. 
100 percent talk about the referees you can talk about you got hit in the face and it's all about your effort and your attitude what are you gonna put out what are you gonna do to make the difference what mm-hmm. kind of work are you gonna do on the side of the house how many buckets of balls will you hit for every minute or hour you're on the phone, how much work are you putting in outside on the side of the house? Did you hit 50 balls into the net? Did you throw Did you throw 50 pitches into the net? Listen, I'm available. I played. So they have a catcher built in. It's getting to the time with them. I coached you through Little League. And I said to Eva, you know, the seat she's now – Working last night, she had a game. She played her game. They won. They're 14 and 0. Right after, she had to go to varsity workouts. It's winter workouts for another two hours. Wow. So she played her. Yeah, bro. She played her game. And then I'm I'm sitting in the stands for, you know, an hour and 45. I have a bag, two bats, her indoor outdoor cleats, huge softball bag. I'm sitting there. I hand her a bag. A couple of people are like, what, what is she doing? I said, oh, she's got to go to varsity softball to go work out. Listen, if nothing else, it's a good work ethic. It gets yeah. you in the mode to work. I have a woman. I'm going to raise a young woman that has the attitude. You have to work. You don't rely on anybody. You be the best you can be. You find a job with a pension. You find a job that's going to pay you the rest of your life. The world's in need of quality people, whatever you decide to do. You know, so I'm trying to gear up these girls through athletics. I want them to be the best they can be. If I'm talking to you and Eve is a senior and Julia's a freshman and Julia, who I do believe will play varsity softball next year in the eighth grade, throwing, she's a lefty. She's thrown about 49. Wow. She's only 12. Uh, what am I saying? 12? <laughs> yeah, she's 12 years track. old. Yeah. She's 12. She's thrown about 49. I mean, next year, she, she's already almost 5'9". She's bigger than her sister already. She's 5'9"? She's 5'9", bro. At the age of 12? At the age of 12. <laughs> Shit. What are you guys, what are you feeding these girls? Yeah, just feeding them whatever, whatever they ship over from Iowa comes in. <laughs> the barnyard. It's like barnyard animals over there. Holy I, shit. They, they graze. They don't stop eating, but it's like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I hope I'm telling you that, you know, I said to Julia, listen, your sister set a standard to come in as a freshman. Go on. Look, you got to be accepted. She played every minute of every game. She batted five every game. You know, she played some first base. She pitched six or seven games. I think she was five and two like that. Um, <clears throat> trim- hit 300, you know, had one huge hit in a playoff game. And now, now you're coming in. I, and now you're coming into that mode where a sophomore going into her junior year playing varsity, you got probably colleges already starting to look around. You know what I mean? Like you got to start. She's really going to showcases, yeah. She's already, you know, going to University of Connecticut, Hofstra, nice. um, uh, Ryder, a couple of schools with her with her outside team, mm-hmm. where she plays on an eighteen U team. I mean, she's all, she's only fifteen, but she's playing with girls that are eighteen. So is Julia, though. The coach invited Julia. 
you know, to go work out with them too. I said to Julia, can you handle this? You know, as out of concern, she's bigger than almost everybody. She's tall and lean, but she's still a baby. She hasn't really hit puberty yet. If you can believe that. That's insane. Which is insane. She's she might wind up being over six foot tall, dude. Yeah. Well, my wife (laughs) created Virginia and she's six feet. She's a little under six feet. So, you know, and I'm six, two. Are you six, two? I'm six two. Oh, you're a bulldozer too. All right, I'm six one and a half. So you're you're up there with me. Yeah, I'm big. We dude. sniff we sniff a different air up here. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. I don't know what what was sniffing, but uh, no, you, dude, but you're, you're giving me you're giving me uh you're giving me aspirations. I mean, look, I got my son who's only two, uh, stopping ground balls from his grandfather who's who's like, like you know kind of rolling them and he's just smothering. That's great. Uh, baseballs at two. My daughter is is four, and she's she's looking to get into the school system, which no daddy dance. is not not prepared for that. <laughs> no dance, absolutely stay away from dance. Oh, uh, we have already embraced dance, my man. Like it's just you know, and, and you know what, dude? And again, this is me, proud dad, talking here, but like she's fucking good. Like she's yeah. good, comparable to the other girls. And this is no offense to the other girls, but I feel like my daughter at age of four is really starting to she's picking things up very quickly and then she's jumping around the house and she's doing her pirouettes and doing all these things she's good so like as long as she likes it and sticks with it i'm cool with it like it, it'll be it's weird you'll see get it show that's great and i would never say no but does volleyball softball basketball anything else too <laughs> yeah. don't just don't just surround her with dance no Give no of course not too of let her not. let her feel it out. Like like I'm watching Julia, you know, play basketball now in the seventh grade. She's she's a street plays on the side of the house. You know the difference between her training in softball and Eva's training in softball with coaches and the intimacy of pitching and hitting coaches and playing. They walk on a, a public high school field like you know, conditioned and ready to go and know yeah. exactly what to do. Eve is becoming a better basketball player. She's in 10th grade now, so she played 7, 8, 9. She's now playing JV. She can shoot the ball. So, you know, it's nice to see Julia just walk on. Julia is like, Dad, I didn't start. I go, listen, bud, she's so conditioned to being Mm. pitching at a high level and not to be obnoxious. But if Julia didn't get the MVP, we're like, whoa, what happened? Like striking out 12 batters playing two years up, bigger than everybody. And now she's just starting to really hit, and she's a full lefty. You know, she's still – she's so long, bro, and she's so still kind of soft because she's she's just a baby. She's only 12, and she's not full – she's not a 12-year-old that's fully mature. She's right. a 12-year-old that's underdeveloped, that's very big and gorky. But you watch her throw a softball or hit now, it's starting to become really smooth and dangerous because of the work she's put in. Basketball, yeah. she looks a little like Manute Bowl right now. <laughs> you know, it's kind of fun to see a little bit of a gingery Manute Bowl, a little light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, all good. Um, but 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 she's like she's she's wants to attack. She's got a killer mentality. Like, yeah, like you're and that's start- and listen, and that starts up top with us. The the GMs of their lives, you know what I mean? Like the, the coaches and the GMs and the ownership and all that stuff. I always look at, 
I always put things in like football perspective, like who's running these kids um, to be respectful, to be, have that work ethic, to have all that shit. And, and that's stuff that you, that can't be taught, right? It, it could be instilled and, and, and kind of programmed. Um, and it's up to the kid. You don't want to, obviously you don't want to force them and do all this stuff. But if you feel like they're, they're excelling at a specific sport or, okay, or career, you got to go, you got to go put the, the pedal to the metal and uh, get them going. So that's a, Steve, that's a great, that's a great point, Dave. It really is, and it is it is your job as a parent. Don't because your kids right now are sponges and can really learn the most from you and your wife. I would even recommend starting to teach Spanish. Get a Spanish tutor for I your. Think kids. I think they're teaching that shit in elementary school now. Anyway, it's like it's one of those things where it's just like starting them early. It is. It is. And, you know, it's a mistake I made, but I tell my friends, if you can get your kids bilingual by the time they'll learn a hundred times faster now with a tutor, it's expensive. Everything's so expensive today. And I understand, but this is a lifelong thing. And my wife and I had disagreements with this and this was something I very rarely win and so dumb, <laughs> but I did come through looking real smart on this one where we did have a Spanish tutor for two years my kids were really rocking it. And my wife's like, this is tight. The budget's tight. You know, this is where we're at. This is somewhere. And listen, we had just bought a house, you know, whatever. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it was tough times, you know, you, you spending money. So something that, you know, I had to look past, but I'm sorry I did. But whatever. Um, that's yeah, man. So thing you can do. So more of this uh, type of conversation on obviously the following weeks of Roman's rundown, Steve, take us home. And uh, yeah, man, it's, it should be a very exciting week ahead. We got the football stuff to talk about next week, more parenting shit uh, to go over next week. So yeah, take us home, buddy. All right. Well, listen, we'll be looking forward to, uh, to the next show. Uh, thank you, Dave. Appreciate all your insight. Love talking about the Knicks. Yeah, um, Dave and I old school Nick fans. Uh, Yankees right around the corner, which we're going to touch base a little bit on the Yankees. A couple of moves they made and didn't mm -hmm. make. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, we'll be touching base again about the Super Bowl as we get closer and the chaos that's going on there. And um, we'll be touching base on a few things that are going on with kids and what you can do to keep your kids engaged and off of that computer and iPhone doing some Hell different yeah. things and different activities like that. Perfect. All right. So uh, great time, Dave. We'll see you soon and uh, peace.